Howdy, and thanks for tuning in to the Home Stretch Podcast 101 Plus Tips for Navigating Assisted Living and Nursing Homes. My name is Chad Schmidt, and here you'll discover the questions to ask from the researchers, professionals, and the institutions so that you can make a more informed decision. And today, I'm excited to share a fireball of a woman. Her name is Robin Rocknipur. She is from Calabasas, California, and she is not a registered dietitian. She is not a nutritionist, and she is not a medical physician, but she is a certified integrative health coach. And today we're going to be talking about whether a holistic approach to nutrition really even matters for an 80-year-old. She's going to actually share what a holistic approach means, some poisons that we eat every single day that are affecting not just ourselves, but our loved one who is in the care of a professional, how to alleviate pain, and I have a little story about my grandmother and her back pain and how it affected her. And Robin goes into detail of how we can not only influence our loved one to make better decisions, but also what things to look for in an assisted living environment or a nursing home. So I hope that you find this energetic conversation beneficial. We have about a 25 minute episode today. And if you do find it useful, I implore you to consider subscribing to this podcast on whatever platform that you're listening to it on, whether that is Apple Podcasts, Google Casts, or Spotify. So let's dive right in and we're going to find out how I even came to discover Robin. I had a conversation with a friend of mine. Her name is Belinda. Her mom has diabetes, and she worries about the episodes that her mom has, and she gets frustrated because she's thinking that her mom is just having a nervous breakdown, and she's possibly doing this just to get attention. Those are the thoughts that are going through Belinda's head. And what she shared is that she wants to understand where her mom's mind is going when she doesn't have enough food in her so that she can control her blood sugar because her mom has diabetes and she wants to learn more about her condition so she can not only help her but also that she doesn't get agitated with these episodes that her mom has and she struggles because as a kid she thought her mom and her dad were invincible they're there for me And now that she is having to be a parent to her parent, that's where she's having this conflict. It led me to wanting to find out more about nutrition. And I was at Lifetime Fitness, which is the gym that I go to in Houston. And I was trying to find the yoga studio. And I couldn't find it because this was a new gym. And this wonderful woman comes up to me and she's like, can I help you? And we get to talking and she's directing me to where this beautiful yoga room is at. And she tells me that she's 
got some background in nutrition. And I said to her, I'm actually looking for somebody that can talk on my podcast, which is geared towards the elder population and the decision makers and the powers of attorneys. And she puts me in touch with this woman. I have a conversation with her and she's not really the best person to talk to, but she introduces me to you. And Robin, I don't know how old you are, but you are like a fireball and a bundle of energy. And you got this great story. And since we talked, you had all these resources that you and your team decided to put together to share with our audience. Does nutrition really matter for an 80-year-old? So go ahead and share with us a little bit about you. (laughs) Well, thank you. I think I'm blushing after that sweet introduction. You're so kind. I thank you for that. I only hope that I can live up to your intro or how amazing you seem to think I am. But anyways, really quick, before we dive into the the subject matter, regarding your friend that was questioning her mother's diabetes, there's two separate, you have type 1 diabetes and you have type 2. And if somebody has been diagnosed with diabetes, it's kind of not made up in their head. It is legitimate. It's not kind of someone seeking attention. And what we're going to talk about today actually can help somebody's health by removing sugar and high glycemic foods. That's something that can improve your diabetes. So I don't want to speak about her specific situation because I don't know her medical concerns, but holistic approach to eating at any age, in my opinion, is definitely the way to go. Well, tell us a little bit about who you are first. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. sorry. Yeah, well, no, my my health journey kind of started 20 years ago, and out of nowhere, I was diagnosed with a medical condition that changed my life overnight. And I went from being pregnant to being married and having another child in a normal middle class life to building a business to becoming a professional patient. And I was unable to walk for three years. I was dependent on medical doctors. The protocol is a lot of medications, which I never responded to. And one of the medications led to, kind of have to do the math, I think it's around 150 to 180 pounds of weight gain in five months. And if if you want to wreak havoc on your body, try doing that because, you know, that's really... Hold on a second. You said (laughs) 150 to 180 pounds weight gain in five months? Yeah, it was a very short time. My medical conditions started, were, were triggered by the hormones in my pregnancy, My daughter was born so early. It was just an absolute medical disaster. And once she was born, she's very, very healthy. She's the love of my life. But that began my journey into health, where I started seeking and learning and asking. And at some point, I turned my education into institutionalized education. I became a certified health coach, and I graduated from the Institute of Integrative Nutrition which I think should be a required course for everybody for life because it it kind of sealed the deal. And this is just like you said, I'm on fire. I cannot share my story, other people's story with as many people as possible because I didn't know. And when you know better, you do better. I want to go ahead and dive right in here because you have some really great resources to share. What is a holistic approach and does it even really matter for an 80-year-old to have a holistic approach to nutrition? Oh, absolutely. Well, to answer your question, a holistic approach, some people might think of 
gurus and conjure up images of new age or strange alternative methods of wellness. But to me, holistic just means healthier. And that's basically better at any age, whether it's 80, 60, 10, 6, in my case, coming up on 50. It does not matter. And every day I make a better choice to be healthier. And it has a direct impact on how I live and how I feel the very next day. So it's never too late. Okay. I know that for my grandmother, when she was coming to the last few years of her life, she wanted to eat ice cream, hot dogs, and tartar sauce on just about anything. And I was assuming that her taste buds were going bad. And when I tried to talk to her about, Graham, you know, I'd love to be able to go outside and in a little adventure with you, but your health isn't good enough. Your body's not healthy. Your body's not strong. She wasn't able to walk without a cane or a walker or even a wheelchair in some cases that I couldn't convince her to eat healthy or eat healthier. But does it it even matter? Does it even matter at that point? Basically, you kind of just said why it does matter. Because at some point, they stop eating and then they're in a home sometimes or they're in a situation where their quality of life is not as good. When I was super heavy, it's no different than my quality of life. I spent three years staring at the ceiling, unable to walk. That's not living. I took three different menus. And I went through them from very extremes. One that I told my children, if, you, if I ever get sick, do not put me in there because I would die just from eating the jello. And then one was amazing. It was in Massachusetts and it had duck all around. And so I kind of went through the menu choices as if I was in an assisted living and what would be my choice. And I started to see a couple commonalities that were very essential to adding into your diet. So maybe you could ignite a conversation with them and just come from a place of love and explain to them that you want them there for a long time and make it a team effort and go over personally some healthier choices for them that they can make and educate them as well. Maybe they don't know. So if they come to an agreement that Uh they know that this is probably the better situation, how is it that they go about making these holistic, healthier food choices? It's what I talk about with my clients a lot. It's called crowding out. You don't want to overhaul your complete menu, and in most cases, you're not able to. So it's the basic theory of you're adding in on your plate at each meal as many vegetables and protein and, and healthy foods as you can. And at the same time, by piling on those really good foods, you're kind of crowding out the little space on your plate and making the less healthier choices. Let's say this individual is already at an assisted living facility and there isn't a whole lot of options on the menu in this environment that they're in. How is it that they're supposed to go about making these changes? Or how would you recommend? I know you don't have answers. We just kind of have ideas. Well, everything's really individual. So, like, what we can do is suggest, and it's just a matter of trying things. If they're in a situation where they don't have control over their food and it's basically handed to them, what you want to do in that instance is fill up on the healthiest items first. Don't start with your breads and starches. Start with your proteins. Then add your vegetables. And think of the sugary treats as maybe 
once in a while. You cannot control your food, but you can control how you eat your food. Well, this is a very important point to bring up because at an assisted living facility, there is usually somebody that is monitoring, whether that's in the community environment or in the room on a one-on-one basis to make sure that this person doesn't choke on their food. And so if they're not the ones that's putting the food in their mouth and the decision maker, let's use Belinda for example, Belinda has work. Belinda's occupied. She's with her family. Her mom is not at an assisted living facility. Her mom actually has the independence still to make those choices. But if she wasn't and somebody's there watching her and monitoring or maybe even feeding her the food with a fork, how is it that they're supposed to make those? Or what suggestions or ideas do you have for that type of situation? Well, that's kind of the fullest extreme when somebody is feeding you and it's a soft food type situation. And hopefully in that situation, there's a dietitian, a nutrition, and a doctor who's regulating everything that you need. So talk to a nutritionist, talk to an expert, sit down with them, and hopefully that'll drill the importance of getting her eating better. And Belinda can always bring her some healthy snacks, bring her some walnuts, and bring her some grapes, and just get her eating in the habit of eating healthier snacks. Well, this brings another good point that I want to touch on, Uh is that a majority of the people Uh that are in an assisted living facility have some type of maybe dementia or a problem with their memory. And associated with that is also their oral care. And they might have teeth that are brittle or they might have dentures or something that they have to have softer foods. So nuts tend to be hard. And so what's a workaround for getting fat, healthy fat, into the body without without damaging somebody's teeth. <laughs> I just jump in and interrupt because everybody who knows me knows I'm the avocado queen. But avocado is like by far one of the healthiest fats. In fact, that's how I used to personally get off sugar because I almost ate two avocados every day. Greek yogurts, softer cheeses, there's fortified juices. Or what's coming to my mind is maybe grinding them up into a smoothie. People that are in those types of facilities, and even if they're not, they have to take medication, and those medications have to typically be swallowed, and sometimes those pills are gigantic and too big for most people. So they crush them, or they cut them in half, and they mix them in applesauce, or they mix them into food, so you can still get the nuts in, maybe just in a more digestive type of way. Right, like you want to you want to get your protein in first. You, you know, you have eggs. Eggs is something very soft. You can have them scrambled. You kind of don't need a lot of cheese for that. Let's talk about this next subject of what my grandmother experienced: this loss of taste, where yeah. food is bland and it needs salt and it's sugar in order for it to taste good just some quick facts, if you burn your tongue, your taste buds are going to go right back, which is really good news, because that is an indication that taste buds do not diminish with age. 
So they are totally trainable. Um, you know, it's just a matter of, you know, some tips that we're going to talk about to ignite those taste buds and get those going again. Okay. So let's talk about how somebody that needs to put salt on their food or have mm-hmm. sauces to make things taste better, how do they go about reigniting these taste buds? I tend to keep it really simple, and I'll give you an example. My friend recently came to me, and her mother was diagnosed with cancer and is having trouble eating. She's just basically lost interest in food. It could be due to medications. They interfere a lot with your stomach and your senses. So we had this conversation. I said, well, what was mom's favorite food when she was a kid? And her response was chocolate pudding. And, of course, I think avocados. <laughs> Wait, you can make a pudding out of avocados? Yes, that's the, the, I'll provide a recipe shortly coming up. Your base is an avocado. You add a sweetener. You add chia seeds and omega seeds and flax seeds and all those good things that mom, like you were talking about, wouldn't usually eat. Put them in a smoothie, put them in some chocolate pudding, and it literally tastes no one would ever know. No avocado taste. It's amazing. I've made it for many people, and I I get a kick out of having them taste it first, and then I tell them what's in it afterwards. <laughs> so, I mean, it's little things like that. It's kind of tracing your own cravings, and this is where those pesky cravings that we're always complaining about come into good play. Personally, for me, I grew up really a sweet girl and loving chocolates and sugary and starchy. Of course, so that's sweet as well. And I've literally trained myself over the years. I do not like that. But in the event that I need to reignite my taste buds or something medically happens, I can call on that craving and I can use it in moderation and start that reigniting of my taste buds personally. So that's how I would do it. Over time, you're able to train your taste buds to have an acquired taste for food that doesn't have as much sodium or sugar in it. Uh The healthier food that you add into your diet, your actual palate will start changing, and you will actually start losing the processed food tastes and salts and chemicals as you add those healthier foods in. It's just an automatic process in your palate changes. Okay. Well, this is all really good information for even the listeners that maybe are considering making healthy changes for themselves Uh and not just for their loved one who's slowly deteriorating. I can imagine, because for my grandmother, she would wake up and have a bunch of pain all the time, and here she was laying in bed wanting to have soda and ice cream and donuts and all of these foods that me personally, I know how they affect me. Right. But for my grandmother, she was focused on enjoying the flavor of the foods as opposed yeah. to getting healthier. There is something to be said about how foods and how they are either affecting your pain level, but right. also your ability to recover if you are feeling, for instance, an injury. You are injured in your back and your muscles need to recover. Sometimes the foods that we eat are either going to speed up or slow down that recovery process. So is there anything that you have to contribute or to share about that philosophy of eating foods to be able to 
maybe, for instance, help the lower back not be in as much pain or the shoulder because you've been sleeping on it and not sleeping on your side? Let me just go to Grandma's case first. When you spoke of Grandma being in pain and she wants ice cream and sugary things, pain is very interrupting. And I know from experience when you are in a certain level of pain and you're at that threshold, you really just kind of don't care. And she's just trying to survive, and if the sugar makes her feel good, that's probably where her mindset is. you got to have a little empathy for that. Sugar probably is the biggest irritant of pain and inflammation. And if you're in that much pain, give it a try. Take two weeks out of your life and just remove sugar and see how you feel. And, and I mean, it's like I, I don't have a crystal ball, but I can just tell you for everybody, including myself, that has tried it, they feel better immediately. Well, I have understood that there's three white poisons that contribute to toxins building up in the body, which create a more acidic environment, which is uh-huh. great for cancer to develop. It's right. great for diseases to develop, and it's great for other destructive antibodies to grow that you don't want there. And those three white poisons are sugar, Uh salt, and Uh flour. And so I have discovered through an esthetician how those three white poisons were affecting my body. And not everybody is the same. Everybody Uh has a different response internally and externally with their body and maybe those foods do or do not affect them but anytime that you can contribute to having a more healthy lifestyle and nutritional choices that allow your body to be in a more alkaline state you're going to feel a lot better. At least that's what I've found in some of the people that I've been privileged enough to lead to making healthier food choices. It's difficult to maintain the discipline, Uh but if you can keep the discipline and maybe incorporate here and there some of those foods that taste good that maybe aren't the best for us, I'm guilty. I had a pizza slice just last week, and it was the first time I had a pizza in like, I want to say close to two years. But I woke up the next morning and my back was killing me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you start recognizing and you see the patterns. And then you just kind of be like, I, I just don't want to feel that way anymore. And, and that's what I got to. We're kind of getting off topic here because we're going into our personal experiences when we're trying to focus on the elderly. And so right. what I'd like to do is talk about how is it that woman or a male in their mid-50s that is now having to make the decisions for their mom or dad, how are they supposed to go about having this conversation of trying to influence their parent to eat healthier when they want to have hamburgers and hot dogs and steaks and ice cream and cookies and all these other bad foods? How can we have this conversation. Well, it goes back to when you know better, you do better. It would be getting involved. It would be coming to them definitely of a place of love and encouragement, not criticism and judgment, and explaining to them why you want them to make healthier choices, because you do. 
you want them to be around. It's, it's very simple. And some of the choices are just minor, minor changes that will make a big difference. We talked a little bit about disease, but when you study all the diets, the common thread is mindful eating. Many of the people that I've worked with, some of them being executives, some of them being doctors, those people are very hard to influence because they have a method that has worked for them. And so first off, what I've learned is I have to be the example, Uh and I can't necessarily force anybody to change and this is something that i learned in my younger days where i would come home and see my parents that were eating unhealthy foods and i would get frustrated and i would make them feel judged and i would make them feel like they weren't good and all of these negative feelings and so i had to learn to maybe turn that switch off like a light and not Uh be so judgmental and come from a place of I can only change myself and I through my own example I can only hope to influence others to making healthier decisions but they have to make that decision for themselves going back into our conversation here how else or what other tips might you have for this mom or dad that has kids that they're responsible for, and now they have their mom and dad that's 75, 80 years old, that they're trying to get them to stop eating Uh all these bad foods that they've been eating for the last several decades that they've become accustomed to, to try to have a more abundant or better quality of life. How do they have that conversation? Coming from a place of love and encouragement, when you when you criticize somebody, you're going to get a defense back and they're not even going to be able to hear you. So whether it's in a doctor's office, maybe it's taking them grocery shopping. We live in this crazy, fast-paced world. You can actually have healthy meals delivered to your mom or dad's door. I mean, balanced meals, you can follow very specific plans. That's definitely an option that I wouldn't mind personally if somebody wants to pay to have meals delivered to me. It's being an example. If they are in an assisted living, maybe every time you visit them, bring them a basket of yogurt and cheese and if nuts if they're able to eat it. And bring them treats like pudding and stick as much healthy stuff in it. Show them rather than tell them. If they're in a situation where they haven't selected a home or a facility to put their loved one in, one of the things that frustrates me is if I was to go to the doctor's office or any health professional and that professional themselves is not healthy, <laughs> why am I going to take their advice? Well, exactly. And, they're and speaking out of both sides of their mouth. They're not being an example the old adage, do as they say, not as they do. Find a nutritionist, an expert, find a health coach, someone like me. I don't teach people how to diet. I don't know how. I know how to get healthy. Big difference. Health coaches have usually overcome something. They know somebody who's overcome something, and so they have personal experience with what you're dealing with. So they're kind of an expert. I'm really thankful for all that you shared, and there's some free resources 
that Robin has put together that are available on her website, which is what, Robin? How I lost 258 pounds, and it's spelled LBS, 258LBSpounds.com. Or you can visit homestretch101.com. With that said, I want to ask our listeners for a favor. There's probably somebody in your life right now that you haven't had a conversation with for whatever reason. They frustrated you the last time you spoke to them over the phone. They did you dirty and stabbed you in the back. They embarrassed you at a public event, and you're upset at them. And it's been a while since you talked. The favor that I want to ask is that you reach out to this person that you once had a very close relationship with, whether that be a family member or a friend, and you tell them that you love them and that you're thinking about them. Because you never know when it's all going to end. And I'd hate for you to have to live with the regret of not being able to tell that person one last time that you love them. Until our next conversation, I wish you good health and eternal love and have a beautiful day.